This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. You're very happy if you had Purim twice and no Yom Kippur, right? But getting a little drunk or buzzed on Purim, eating shlachmanes, eating a meal, running around like Mishugayim, right? How could you compare that to Kippur? The Elah, Kol Nidre, fasting, the whole yeshiva screaming on me together, no, but you know, you make some noise like, oh, like what, what is going on over here? How could it be? It doesn't make sense. It's very nice the rabbis say that, but it doesn't make any sense that Purim is greater than Yom Kippur. So, the difference between Yom Kippur and Purim is that Yom Kippur is a day of awe, fear. Shem, I want to live, you know, I want to make money, I want to be healthy, right? You, you, you want a lot of stuff, and I want to be forgiven for all the bad things I did. So it's a, it's a, a day of awe, a day of fear. Purim is a day of love. What's a closer relationship? Someone fears someone? Or someone loves someone? For sure, someone loves someone. How do I know? So, I was a Rebbe 8th grade boy for 40 years. 40 years. 8th grade boys. And there was a store that was right next to Yeshiva. And many times I got very hungry. And I couldn't send one of the boys, the eighth graders, to buy the food, to go get the food. So I would have to sneak out of Yeshiva for like two minutes, run across the street, buy my bag of potato chips, right, and my soda, and then come back. So when I first started teaching, I always had a very close relationship to my boys. We used to play tackle football on Fridays together, and if you tackled the Rebbe, you got 20 bucks. Um, if you hit me late, I failed you in all your classes. So I always, the minute I saw a guy was coming to get me, I just threw the ball, and uh, therefore I didn't have to pay. Only twice I paid $20. I didn't see them coming. Um, so I had this very, very tight, very close relationship with my boys. So I would tell them, guys, listen, uh, I'm jumping out. I gotta go. It's going to be two minutes. But I want to hear a cold toilet coming out of the room. I want to hear you guys learning because the principal walks into the room. I'm not there. I'm dead. So I want you guys to, you know, I want. So many times the principal would come by and say, wow, you guys are really shy. I'm running all the way down the hall, screaming chabruses. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't there, but okay. Anyway, so they loved me. So if I asked them to do something for me, they did it. But if they feared me, they would have done it. I would have come back and there would have been guys running down the hall, jumping up and down on their desks. The greatest fear in the world is to fear the, to hurt the one you love. So when Amalek says, Ibdu Hashem, it's simcha, with love, with happiness. He also says, Ibdu Hashem, biyero, serving with fear, with awe. How can you do both? So when you have a relationship with someone, when you, when you, somebody loves you and you love them, don't want to hurt them. You have this fear of letting them down. You have this fear of hurting them. Don Melech said, you should serve Hashem with the fear of letting him, the one that loves you, which is Hashem, of letting him down. Purim was the greatest day ever that the Jewish nation showed Hashem that they loved him. Why? 
So I, can, I don't have the time to go through all the midrashim. I'm going to speak a little bit about it in the, in the next in the next room. But at the end of the day, Hashem signed a decree that the Jewish nation will be killed. And Mordechai came to Klaishol and said, "I saw in a dream in the Vias, Eliyahu came to me and said, it's signed in Shemayim, not only by Haman but by Hashem that we're going to be destroyed." So the Jewish nation, for the first time in the history of the Jewish nation, knew that God wrote us off. Even by the Egel, Hashem said, Salachti Kidorecha, forgive them. Here, the whole nation knew God wrote us off. We're done. Okay. We have a Gadol. We'll go to the Gadol, right? Even if we're not doing so good. But Moshe Feinstein is alive, he'll protect us. If is alive, He'll protect us. If you're a Svadi, you're a Vajra, you're safe with alive. He'll protect us, right? See this? Sabarev is alive. He'll, he'll protect us. So even if we don't have a good relationship with Hashem, we have, we have. But, but that wasn't the relationship they have with Marachai. They hated Marachai. Because they said, you, Rabbi, because you don't bow down to Haman, that's why we're in the trouble that we are. <coughs> so we don't have God. We don't have a leader. Don't worry, everybody. <coughs> And the government, Trump's son-in-law, is a Jew. So even if God's not here, and the rabbis aren't here, we got Trump's son-in-law, he's a Jew. They're a Hanukkah party, and they're a mezuzah on the door somewhere over there, or whatever it is. So politically, we've got the right guy inside there, right? We have nothing to worry about. They had Esther Malka, so they said, okay, Hashem doesn't like us, he wrote us off. Mordechai got us into trouble, forget about him. But the queen of Persia is a Jew. We're good to go. But then on Yeshiva World, there was a report on everybody's iPhone that an inside news person found out that the queen, who's the Jew, is a traitor. She invited the enemy, Haman, to a private party. And all the Jews said, you see... That's what happens. You become powerful and you get power. And now she's one of them. We are Dunsky. Hashem wrote us off. The rabbi got us in trouble. And the politician, Esther, is now on the other side. We have nowhere to turn. We're finished. Never did Kleistro ever in such a situation. What did Kleistro do? They fasted for three days. They daven, they learn. The little children daven, they learn. We said to Hashem the following. Shifshim Pinkus gives this shit. I'm going to talk about it tonight. We said to Hashem, You gave up on us. You wrote us off. But we will not write you off. So even though, right now that we know that you wrote we should all die, we should have become Christians, we should have become atheists, we should have taken our yarmulkes, thrown them in the street, we should have closed all our yeshivas, we're dead anyway, you don't like us anyway, God, you signed us off, we're out of here. We're going to Burger King, having a triple-sized cheeseburger with some bacon fries on it, because you don't want us anyway. Instead, we went and fasted for three days. And David Right to Hashem. When someone tells you I don't love you, for you to turn around and say, 
it doesn't matter whether you love me or not, but I still love you. It never ever happened since the creation of the world, and it will never happen again. It happened on Purim. And because it happened on Purim, that love is much bigger than the love that we show in Yom Kippur. In Yom Kippur, we're scared, but you'll have a very and we get punished. So yes, we love you, Hashem, but you didn't give up on us. You're listening to us. On Purim, you gave up on us, and we didn't give up on you. That moment is so big that on Purim, anything, anytime you put your hand out to Hashem, call it Pashid Yad, nice to know he gives it to you. So I want to tell you about that love and that relationship because that has a lot to do with your boys learning in yeshiva, being connected. <coughs> First of all, I want to tell you that my Rosh Yeshiva was a mere yeshiva, was Rashmul Bermam. It happens to be that Rashmul Bermam in 1976, when I was in yeshiva, sent a lot of boys to St. Louis. He wanted to send me to St. Louis, but my father wanted me home every Shabbos. So a lot of my friends, Jay Tepper and, and Aldi Weinberg, a lot of guys came to St. Louis. A lot of Mira boys were here in, in yeshiva in St. Louis, or Rabbi Kleinman. But anyway, outside of that. So, I'll start with this story very fast. So there was a, there was a king and he had, um, had a beautiful daughter, princess. The manager always talks about princesses. And every guy wanted to marry her. She's rich, she's beautiful, and you become a prince. What a shidduch. What an amazing shidduch. So he made an announcement. He said, I don't know who to pick. Thousands of guys wanted to marry her. So we're going to make a race. The guy who wins the race, he's going to get my daughter. So he built a tower a thousand steps. Huge steps. Really wide steps. And he said, when the sun sets tonight, the race begins, and you can all race up the, the steps. The guy that gets to the top by sunrise gets the princess. But if you don't make it to the top, even though you're ahead of everyone else, you get nothing. You either get the princess by getting to the top, or you get nothing. Okay? So, they all get online. Sun sets. 2,000 guys running up the steps. At the 200 step, the heavy set guys that were out of shape, they couldn't breathe. They weren't going to tell everyone that I'm out of shape, because that would make them look like they're losers. So they started a rumor. And they started a rumor, and the rumor started going through everybody, that the king that nobody can make it to the top by sunrise. And the king is doing this. They're all going to be sitting. The king and his friends are going to be sitting at the bottom. When the sun comes up, you're going to see all these guys stuck on all the steps. And they're going to sit there and they're going to be laughing their heads off. The whole thing's a joke. There's no princess at the top. And you're not getting to the top. Because these guys didn't want to say they're out of shape. Right? And they're like, I'm not going up anymore. This is ridiculous. There's no princess. And guys, all the guys who didn't think they could run up started turning around and going off. And slowly but surely, the rumor went, the rumor went, there's no princess, there's no princess, there's no princess, I'm not going, there's no princess. An hour left to sunrise, there's two guys left. And they're on the 700th step. And one guy turns to the other, he goes, you know, we have an hour left, we can't do 300 steps in an hour. We're in the best shape in the whole country. We're running the whole time. You know what, it's true. The king set it up that nobody can make it. He's a joker. He, they're all sitting going to be sitting. The sun's going to come up, and us two idiots are going to be on the steps, and the whole country's going to be sitting on the bottom. Look at those fools! They thought they could make it. I am out of here. He says, "We made it seven hundred steps. You're going to turn around now." He goes, "Yeah. You want to be left up here when everyone's laughing? 
In an hour, I could run down the steps. I'm out of here. And he turns around, and his friend says to him, I'm not running with you. He says, why not? He says, because I worked for the king for five years. He has no sense of humor. There's no way that this is a joke. And also, one thing about this king, he is so honest. There's a princess up there. I'm telling you, he goes, I don't know what you're telling me. I'm out of here. And he runs down the steps. And like many of us in our lives, this guy's looking up at the top of the tower. Now there's 45 minutes left. And he's like, I know you, king. I worked for you. What's going on here? I'm the fastest guy, and I can't make it. What's this all about? Maybe he wants to see who doesn't give up. For the next 45 minutes, I am running. I'm not going to make it to the top. Maybe the 800 step. Maybe I'll get the princess because I'm the only guy left. And he steps on the 701st step, and all of a sudden the step opens up. And there's a mechanism, and the step in front of him opens up, and the step in front of that opens up. And from a track underneath the steps comes an elevator. He's like, I knew it. And he gets into the elevator, and there's a bottle of wine and a rose, champagne and a rose, and two glasses. And a button that says P for princess. And he pushes the button and the elevator closes and goes down, goes underneath the steps and zips up the tracks. And the thing is flying. Elevator opens up, the sun's about to come up. He steps on the top step. As he steps on the top step, boys, the guy that was his friend steps off the bottom step. Two guys on the same step at the same moment. And now one is off the steps and one is on top. And he opens the door, and there she is. The most beautiful girl he ever saw. And she goes, thank you! She says, thank me! Thank you! She goes, no, you don't understand, she says. My father told me that if no one makes it, I will be up here by myself forever. I saw the two of you guys talking on the 700 step, and I saw your friend running down, I'm like, Whoever you are, please don't run with him. And then I saw you take, I knew there was an elevator on the step. I was like, take another step, take another step, take another step. And you took that other step and now you're here. And he runs out and his friends just got off the last step and he goes, elevator! And the guy hears, Err! he doesn't even turn around to look. Oh, now my friend realizes he made a big mistake. And then the princess says, there was something my father didn't tell anyone. I have a twin sister. I'd like you to meet her. And she looks exactly like her. And he runs out and he screams down to his friend who's off the steps. Twin sister! And he hears her. <laughs> What's the difference between these two guys? Two guys in St. Louis Yeshiva. Same age. Both in the same place at the same time. One ends up at the top of the steps and Chas V'Shalom, one ends up off the steps. Why? Why is one on top of the steps? He's a masmid, a learning. And the other guy's off the dara. What happened? Chas V'Shalom, he said, never had that one. What happened? What's the difference between these two guys? Boys, there's only one difference. 
One knew the king, one did not. We're sitting and learning in yeshiva and doing mitzvahs and davening. You get to know the king. You get to know the king is not a comedian or a joker. He's not playing with you. You know to get the king Hashem is MS. And when you know that Hashem is MS and he's not a comedian, then you keep taking the next step even if it's hard. And sooner or later, you hit the step that has the elevator. I was telling the girls today, I was 20 years old when I went for my first Rebbe's job. I went to high school, I went to elementary school, I went to Mir Yeshiva in New York for two years. I came for my interview, I had just gotten married in Yeshiva Bay Parkway. I walked in and the guy said, we have sixth grade available. Fill out your application. I filled out the application, I handed it to him. The rabbi looked at me and he looked at me and he looked at me. And I'm like, what's wrong? He said, are you about tshuva? I said, I'd like to be. No, I'm not about tshuva. He said, you went to yeshiva high school? I'm like, yeah. You went to base medish? Where'd you go? I said, mere yeshiva. And you spelled your mother with a hey? For the guys who don't know how to spell with an alf. <laughs> I said, I did? <clears throat> oh, I, w- I must have panicked. Uh, I didn't know how to spell Gemara. I thought Mishnah's a hey, Gemara was a hey. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I must have panicked. He goes, no, you didn't panic. Because you, you wrote down the Gemara you wanted to teach is Baba Metzia. The way you spelled it, it looks like Baba Misa. <laughs> you don't know how to spell. You need to go back to Yeshiva and learn before you want to become a Rebbe. I was 20 years old. I didn't know how to spell Gemara, boys. You do. But I kept taking the step. Well, now you do. Anyway. <laughs> I kept taking the step, I kept taking the step, I kept taking the step. And at 30 years old, I found the elevator. My whole life changed. I didn't give up because I knew that if the king said you can make it, you can make it. We had, I know it's late, but this is very important. We had an Yeshiva guy who was in Cairo for 40 years. His whole life was killed. His wife got cancer. Stage four. And we said they said this over by Rishmuel's, um, by the Shiva. And he came to Rosh Hashiva and he said to Rosh Hashiva, Rosh Hashiva, the only reason I'm in Yeshiva for 40 years is that my wife took care of everything. You have to, you have to have, you have to, you have to do something. You have to do a mitzvah. You have to do a miracle. Doctors are giving her three months. I need her. Without her, I can't learn. She said, I'm not a Sephardi Makobo. I don't do Mifsin, and I'm not a Rebbe. That's what he told him. She was, he said, I learned. He was a master of his door. He doesn't know from that stuff. He said, I'm not a Rebbe. I don't do Mifsin. He said, I don't, I, but you have to do something. Shiva knew him. He was one of his guys, 40 years. I'll, I'll try to do something. A week later, this guy gets a call. They're doing some type of new chemo in Belgium. And they need 20 patients that were given up on. So they signed up and they went to Belgium. And two of those patients, the chemo worked. And this woman, stage four, went to stage three, stage two, stage one, gone. So of course Hashem does miracles through 
medicine, that we shouldn't see him. So he went back to Rosh the true story. He said to Rosh Hashiva, it seems to be that you are a rabbi, <laughs> that you are a kubble. I know that you're the one who, who, who made this happen. He said, I'm not a rabbi, I'm not a kubble, but if you want to know how it happened, I'll tell you how it happened. Listen to it. Listen to boys what it means to learn. He said, every day, a lot of, right, we're learning the Gemara, and that day that you came to me, I was learning Machlokes between Abai and Rav. He said, I said to Abai and Rav, listen, you know, I talk to you a lot. We talk a lot about you, we talk with you, I talk to you. There's another, someone in the yeshiva that also talks to you a lot. He's already 40 years in Kyle. And the reason he's able to talk to you is his wife is taking care of him. But if his wife dies, he won't be able to talk to you anymore. So go in front of the Kisa Kavari and tell the Baruch Hu that you enjoy when this Kyle man talks to you. By a rebel, you can pull this off, I can't. Because Mashvah by a rebel went, talk to Hashem. They're the ones who pulled it off. Don't thank me, thank Abai and Rav next time you see them in the Gemara. What was he saying, guys? He was saying, you learn Rashi? No, you're not learning Rashi. You do the dot. No, you're not doing the dot. You're talking to Rashi. When you're learning, you're talking to Rashi. You're talking to Tysus. You're talking to the Tanai. He's in your life. When you're on that level, you can ask the Tanai, you can ask Rashi. You know, I learn every week. I'm out of the center. I learn every Rashi to Pasha. Rashi, I need your help. I, I need you to go for a book. I need, I need you to, to have the chef to do a miracle. We should shoot our shmuels on that level. That's what Tyra can do. That's what you're doing here. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And if you really learn, and you really know who the king is, then you'll take the next step, and you'll take the next step, and in your learning and in your life, you'll keep hitting these elevators. It's another step. When everybody is turning around and giving up and saying, we can't do this, I can't do this, the difference between those two guys, one knew the king and one didn't know the king. My bracha to all of you is, you should get to know the king. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.